At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is a crypto crush as regulators take aim at the second largest cryptocurrency, Ethereum. But a top technician says the chart is flashing a buy sign. He'll be here to break that down. Plus, the Dow down more than 300 points at the lows of the session, although stocks did close well off those lows. But if today's action has you feeling nervous, don't be. A top strategist says it's not the year to sell in May and go away. He'll explain. But first, we start off with Apple, the tech giant beating earnings, and the stock is soaring after hours, up by just about 4%, 3.5% right now. iPhone sales just slightly below estimates despite all the worries. The company announcing a $100 billion buyback and a 16% increase on its dividend. Investors clearly loving all of this, but will the excitement around Apple be enough to save the rest of the market? And do we see these gains in the after-hours session hold? Because at one point, Apple was up 5%. And nobody's held them, by the way. So no, a lot yeah. of questions. Yeah. Answer yeah. a few of them because I already forgot what they were. <laughs> I can answer them. Well, look, are you deferring? Uh, yeah. I love that. Oh, that, my that, gosh. That's the kind of guy never happened like in the history team. of Fast Money. Well, well, all right. So ultimately, think about what we wanted to see out of these guys. We wanted to see them get close on the, on the units. They did. They actually beat on services. So services came in at 9.1. The street was at somewhere around 8.3 billion. That's very good. That's about 14.4, 14.5 of total revenues. That's what I think people want to see. ASPs were weaker. And I think for people that want to see higher prices equal higher margins that's disappointing but again the guidance for the march for the june quarter middle of the road for 52 and a half well ahead of the street well ahead of gene munster so i think it was a good number isn't this sort of just a i mean eh. i mean revenues are pretty much in line eps is a slight beat, but keep in mind that from three months ago the revenue estimates have come down seven percent right. the profit estimates have come down by about four percent well. mm-hmm. so yeah. even coming in in line and a modest beat Right. That's sort of eh. It was eh. <laughs> I mean, it was a decent quarter, right? Uh, but you're right. If you think about where the stock was four days ago, I think it was 161. Expectations were really, really low then, so it did come back some. It's still well below its 52-week high. I, I don't know what the expectations were when the stock was in the high mid to high 180s. This probably wouldn't have been quite enough to keep that stock up had this been the quarter they reported right then. You know, there's a couple of things that are much better than that. When you look about services at 9.1 billion going, uh, growing 31% year over year, I mean, that's a pretty big acceleration from last quarter's 21% year over year growth. And here's something that's really important. We know that iPads and Macs are barely growing here, and that services number overtook the total of iPads and Macs in the quarter. So when you think about that and you think about margins, um, you know, that should be one of the things that's kind of stabilizing a little bit. And then the other thing is China, you know, expectations got really low there. Last quarter grew 11% year over year. This quarter grew 21%. So there's a couple of areas that people were very focused on. And I suspect that China really helped with the iPhone X. So while we were talking about ASPs came in a little below consensus at $7 or $740 mm-hmm. a phone, they came in at $728. I bet you China helped out there. I think 
think this phone is not particularly doing great. And then lastly, that other category that had AirPods, um, the HomePod that was introduced in the last quarter, that was kind of perceived disaster. to be a bit of a disaster. Yeah. But that, that segment beat too. So I think AirPods are doing well. HomePods probably doing a little better than people think. And I don't know, who knows? Wait, what was it watches doing. in the Watches what was in there too. Oh, right. products. So watches, yeah. I think, was. Yeah, yeah, other products. I mean, it's up to almost $4 billion. Yeah. So, you know, you can't do the counterfactual thing. It's not that interesting. But you have to ask yourself, if Apple came into the day trading 175 or so, would this quarter accelerate it to the next level? Would people be selling, taking profits off of this quarter? There was so much negativity in the shares into this over the last couple of weeks, led off by probably the Morgan Stanley note two and a half or so weeks ago. I think this is a relief rally. I do say the, the services number is important. It's 15 percent of revenues now. Dan told you about the growth. You know, if this gets up to the high teens, which it's going to be seemingly within the next couple of quarters, then the valuation so, that Apple wants, it might deserve. I know here's you a question, go. though. I mean, I thought you were going to play a game. Do we see, no, no, no. Oh, right. Just because I raised my hand. <laughs> game time. Do we see a sight line, though, to the handoff from hardware to services at this point? Well, do you it, see it? Do you see it here? Glimmers okay. of it in the corner? Quarter? So much like the market, we need to kind of determine with the new multiple, because it doesn't matter that earnings yes. are good. Uh, with Apple, it's time to figure out what the value ascribed to an 800 million user install base. And, and I think you got a lot of good stuff here today. And, I, you know, I mean, the, the HomePod disappointment, who really cares, right, Dan? I mean, ultimately, it's, it's a case where I think they are showing that they're getting into services and, and that hardware is... But, she, but she's yeah, asking lesson. a really important question. Yeah, Services only you, were, I clearly well, didn't no, answer. No, but the only, <laughs> well, no, but listen, their hardware install base has to grow. And whatever that device is, maybe it's HomePod, I think that the first iteration of this thing wasn't so bad. I actually well, bought Well, they're one. selling used phones, too. I think that's no, the same I, I, thing, because they don't I think, care about the new numbers think, as much. I think the most important thing is the company, Tim Cook has said that this is going to be a $50 billion a year business by 2021. And the most important thing from where I'm sitting is that the hardware in which you use their services... The ASPs on those are going to go down. There's just a fact. One of the right. reasons why we've seen iPhone units kind of plateau out is because there hasn't been a whole heck of a lot of innovation. I think the company made a bad mistake by raising prices on their 8 series and then also taking uh -huh. that step up on the X because they're only going down over time in the next few here's years. Here's a question, too. I mean, if you really want to believe that services is going to be the next leg higher for Apple, the next source of growth, can we afford to see HomePods continue to be somewhat of a disaster or be lackluster considering Amazon is is, is right, potentially taking away here. services right. from Apple because they're delivering a unit that you want to put in your living room, and Apple is not. How right. sticky is the Apple ecosystem? That's Exactly. I don't, I don't know. It's apparently pretty sticky right pretty now. Pretty sticky but, right you know, now. To your point, I think to your point, if Apple starts to lose that cachet or that cool factor, how long are people going to hang around? I mean, apparently right now they're hanging around. But over time, when everybody's making the same thing, when these products become somewhat ubiquitous, how sticky is if it? If you're accessing by a voice and Apple doesn't uh, yeah. have that presence, what happens to the services revenue? Well, I, I tell you what, again, uh, Alexa is much cooler than Siri, and Siri was first. And, and so the HomePod, all right, so we've said now it's a disappointment, but the, the home is still the one place to penetrate, and they all want to be there. And in fact, you know, Amazon is, is winning right now. Um, but I, I think Apple has plenty of room, and, and there are plenty of people, they want it to come down to the device. I don't think they want all these other gadgets. They want it all right here, and I think Apple's going to figure that out. It's sort of interesting to me, Taiwan Semi, which has really been crushed uh, and sort of down with Apple together, right. is modestly, just modestly up in the, in the after hours. So it's interesting to me that gets to the question of services being really uh, so I have the not answer hardware. For that. I, so, so the HomePod, I mean, this is their first iteration. The series has been around since 2011. It's fine, okay? It's not great. It's, it's fine. So here's another thing. The Apple TV, okay? Soon 
in the next year or so, that's going to connect to the HomePod, and then the voice is going to work better, right? And then they have, I think they said on this call, there's 270 million paid subscribers. Those are iTunes accounts. Obviously, they have about 45 million Apple Music. Pretty soon, they're going to have a streaming video service to compete with Netflix. So, I mean, you can start to see the ecosystem coming together in this new world order where we're in ambient computing and that sort of thing. So, to me, I don't think there's any reason, because HomePod's disappointed, to say these guys are off. And then Gene Munster's going to come on. He's going to start talking about AR. He's going to start talking about this whole new platform. So to me, you know, Tim Cook's talking AR, he's talking VR, he's talking AI. These are things that they're spending under the radar on. Right. And I think it probably all comes together. In it just seems to me, here's the one problem I have. I don't have, so I agree with you, Dan. I don't have any problem. And I think the services number has been a very, very healthy thing consistently. Sure. But, but why, are they, why are they not connecting the dots now when other people are, when they were so far ahead? And I think first mover advantage is actually something that they had. I'm not saying that they've entirely lost it, but there's a lot of people Here. playing in that home, including Google, who wasn't even there before. So here's, here's the other question. In terms of capital return, it seems like, well, at least according to Morgan Stanley, right, they were expecting $150 billion increase. We got a $100 billion increase to the existing program that right. they plus will complete. Dividend, plus dividend. Plus a 60% right. increase in dividend, which Morgan Stanley expected to be a 50% increase right. in the dividend. Are you getting paid enough to wait? Is it enough? Is it enough at this point, given the expectations on the capital return? They still, the pushback to that, I think, would be they still have, they still have um, ammunition left if they were to, if sure. so inclined. So why not keep the powder dry? Don't lead with your best. Lead with $100 billion, which is what the street was looking for, and have powder dry in case you need it going down the road. Apple shares up 2% now in the after-hour session. For more, let's bring in Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster from San Francisco. Gene has been on the uh, red phone listening uh, in on the call. Uh, Gene, what's, what's the headline here from you? Well, it's nice that the iPhone number was in line with the street, and it's also nice that the guidance was as bad as what we thought, which is implies basically a 2% growth in iPhone units. All that's nice, and services was much better, and China was better. All that's good, but I don't think that's the story. I don't think that that's what's going on, and I caught just a little bit about the, what you had said a, a, a minute ago in terms of the buyback, but there is a fundamental shift that I think is going on in terms of how investors think about the Apple story, and specifically... This is a cash-generating machine that is head and tails above any other FANG stock and really any other company in the world. And the reason why I want to point to that is that I think there's going to be a shift over the next few quarters and couple of years where investors are less interested on what the iPhone number is in any given quarter, more interested about what that buyback. They put a, a very easy bar for them to jump over with this $100 billion, Melissa. And I think that's going to be the big story here. And I just want to put some quick uh, finer point on that is that if they go cash neutral, which they said they would last quarter, basically implies that they would give back about $60 billion per year to investors. That alone will move the stock 7% higher in the next year. And so this is a huge part of the story. I'm excited to hear what they're going to say on the call about that. Yeah, I, I, we hope you jump back on the red phone because it looks like uh, Apple is, is taking a turn here, Gene. We'll check on Ethan a little bit. Uh, Gene Munster out in San Francisco monitoring the call for us on the red phone. Um, just quickly here, we, we led the show with can Apple help save the market? We are seeing this pattern repeat. So what does that mean if we see the pattern repeat again and again, where we have decent numbers, the stock doesn't respond positively, and the markets don't respond either? What does this mean? Well, it, look, of course it's disappointing. I, I think we've said, though, that Apple should be treated a little bit differently. If anything, Apple was acting 
you know, it, it, it's probably more defensive. I think it, it's certainly more defendable in terms of this multiple. Everything Gene just said is why you can probably own Apple through an environment where actually I think rates go higher. So um, I, I think it gets back to my point. What is the multiple you put on this market? That's what it comes down to because the economy is fine. The earnings are great. Um, but, you know, 20, 20 times trailing for the market is not necessarily going to equate to 18 times current. And, and it's obviously nowhere close to that. Right. Karen? I don't know. I thought today's price, I don't know what turned the market. We were just talking yeah. about this right before the show. I don't know what turned in the middle of the day, but you started to see the other things, right? Google was almost never down today, even when the market was at its lows and it started to come back. So to me, I don't know. I, I'm, I think just value will out. And so Google at that price, I think, was just too low. I wish they would do some sort of gigantic capital allocation instead of that wimpy perfect number buyback that they got. But anyway, I think the market can do with or without Apple. All right. We'll continue to monitor the Apple conference call. The stock is now up 2.3% after hours coming up. It's not just Apple, believe it or not. Gilead and Snap also out with earnings moments ago. Both of those stocks getting crushed. Take a look at those declines after hours. Excuse me. Those conference calls are underway as we speak. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, it is officially May. The top strategist Tony Dwyer says, don't sell and go away. Stay in May. How cute. He'll explain right now why right now could be your best chance to buy. And later, crypto got crushed today on renewed fears of more regulation. But a top technician says the charts are predicting a big move. He will tell us in which direction. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Gilead. Meg Terrell's back in the newsroom listening to the conference call on the blue biotech phone. Meg, what's the latest? Hey, Mel. Well, the Q&A is going on on Gilead's call. Of course, it was a pretty disappointing first quarter, missing on both the top and the bottom lines for the company. They did, however, reiterate their full-year guidance, but the stock down more than 5.5%. They were light on their hepatitis C and their HIV franchises. Of course, HIV is the area that people are looking for for growth for Gilead because hepatitis C has been shrinking so much. One small bright spot in the quarter for Gilead was its newly acquired uh, immunotherapy cancer drug that it got from that big acquisition of Kite, uh, Sales were about $40 million in the quarter versus analyst expectations of about $16 million. Now, that's, of course, very small when you have an almost $400 million miss in terms of revenue, but analysts are taking heart that that at least looks pretty good. But Gilead down about 5.5%, Mel. All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell on the blue phone. Uh, it has been, in fact, a broader biotech beatdown. You can check out some of the largest names in the space, all down significantly from their 52-week highs, selging the worst of the group down a whopping 40%. Then on the other side, Guy, today, we saw real pain in Merck as well as Pfizer. What, what's happening so, here? And Bristol-Myers has sort of yeah. led the charge to the downside as well. What's Gilead specifically, Harvoni, Meg just mentioned, I mean, they missed that revenue number by 30%, and she just mentioned Yaskarta. That was $40 million. I mean, that's nothing, nothing. compared. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it doesn't, that's not even... At a certain even, point, maybe it's relevant. It's not relevant now. So you ask yourself, right, what's the right valuation with the balance sheet they have and the gross margins? But if their basically premier drug is going to have a 30% revenue miss, which is what we're seeing now, you have to sort of reevaluate. In terms of the space, Celgene on Friday, is it more the same? At a certain point, valuations will matter. Not yet, though. Yeah, I tell you what, around 66, Gilead is, is near two-year lows. Um, I'm long the stock. It's ridiculously cheap. It's got $40 billion in cash. 
Um, this is a company, but again, HIV, HVB, HCV, uh, we're all down. If you look at it year over year, you're down about 25% on the antiviral drugs, and people are wondering what's next. So it's all about an M&A strategy, I'm afraid, and, and you know, where there could be capital give back. But, but the, the valuation, it's not a case where this is meaningless. This is a very, very inexpensive company that I think has run well. And in fact, do you want them to go out and make a bad acquisition? It's interesting that the cancer acquisition um, is not only fizzled out, but the stock's below where it bought cut. Right. I mean, that was sort of hailed as, well. finally, we're seeing you know, signs of M&A in the space. And then we had Pfizer yeah. on its conference call saying, we don't need to do a big transformational deal here. Uh -huh. And then Allergan also, I think, said, right. we're so not looking what, to do a big... Oh, that yeah. was the one catalyst people were hanging know, on that's to. That's why I picked it in the stock draft. Allergan, because, I, I think, I mean, not why, no. but I think there's M&A activity. I mean, I think the stock's, you know... You picked Amgen. You picked Amgen. Amgen, sorry. <laughs> no wonder. Thank you. <laughs> Boy, that would have been close. I think you're going to lose a stock oh, no. draft. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you sure it wasn't DNA. Yeah. Sorry, the Beardstown ladies have really got me in, in a head. You got all worked right up over them. I know. They, all right. All right. Still Sorry. ahead. Yeah. Moving on. Check out here is a snap getting crushed after hours. We'll hear from the CEO later in the show about what went wrong this quarter and how he plans to right the ship. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. They make money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. Well, maybe that's because they didn't follow the old adage of sell in May and go away, which hasn't worked in years. And a top strategist says it ain't going to work this year either. He'll explain why. Plus, did you see that? A top technician says there's something in the charts that suggests Bitcoin is gearing up for a big move. We'll tell you in which direction when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money and welcome to May. The sun is shining, the flowers are blooming, the birds are chirping. So is it time to sell stocks and go away? Our next guest says not this year. So we took a look back on the old Wall Street adage and over the last six years, the S&P 500 was only negative once from May through October and was higher an average of almost 5% during that time frame. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, Chief Market Strategist at Canaccord Genuity. So stay in May. Is your adage? Play in May. Play, Play in May. In stay May. in May. It's all good in May. Um, <laughs> really what, you, Mel, you just don't have the conditions that typically exist to expect a negative May through September period. And, and by definition, the adage don't sell in May and go away means you actually go to cash. And the conditions that typically take place before that happens is you ha you're only less than 2% median from 52-week high. We're down 8% from the 52-week high. Also, in all six non-recession negative May through September periods, you had a ramp up into May mm -hmm. by a median 8%. So we're down mm -hmm. for the year. It would be historically unique to have a non-recession negative May through September period since 1982 when you're, only, when you're down more than 2% from the 52-week high and when you have a negative period ahead of May. I get that, but does that, does that necessarily mean that you want to stay invested in May? Sure. If you're not down and the latter half of the year is good. Remember, ultimately, the market correlates to the direction of earnings. So this is all noise. Unless you expect a negative period of earnings, you should never not be invested What's anyway. What's going on right now, then, in earnings, in the market's reaction? It, back in January, when we were talking on, on set, uh, Tim pressed me on it, what, what we thought was going to be a pretty meaningful correction. There was. And then we, got, we were calling for a retest. There was a lot of pushback on that. Everything looked great. 
Now it's the opposite. We are working off a ridiculous level of optimism that took place in mid-January. I mean, think about it. When you turn on the news, watch the news, or you, you look on the Internet at a newspaper, you see negative stories. You don't see, hey, everything's good. So to have only 12% of investors' intelligence newsletter writers negative in mid-January, that is a ridiculous level of optimism. Negative sells. So when you're a newsletter writer and you're not negative, you're kind of shooting yourself. So to have, there was just such a degree of optimism, Mel. I don't think this is about anything other than, yeah, you're slowing from peak growth. The market doesn't correlate to the rate of change of earnings. It correlates to the direction. Just to play devil's advocate quickly, the volatility index is now pushing down towards 15 again. Have people, do people get that complacent that quickly? Is that something we should be concerned about? It's historically what happens, Guy. It's a great, it's a great point. Um, the indicator we used for the shock drop back in post the February move was you had on a 10-week rate of change on the VIX index, the volatility index. It got up to 125. Whenever it's gone from that level on the 10-week rate of change to below zero, you've made new highs. And volatility has come down, and it's stayed down. So I would expect it to break 15, stay below 15 for a period of time. I was, I was at a, uh, an Ironman, which you actually ran in at one point. Mm. I was at an Ironman this weekend with some I thought you said buddies. you were in an Ironman. I'm no. Like, wow, Tony, that's yeah. I walked 15 <laughs> miles at the damn thing. It would, I felt that's like pretty I was good. But, you know, I was with my buddies, and, and you know, everybody's skeptical about the stock market now. But when you ask them, well, how's your business? Well, it's good. You got to have a negative environment to be sustainably negative. The rest of it really is short-term nuance. So, obviously, depending on a horizon is, is, you know, who cares about May on some level if you're looking longer term. Right. But, but the, the point I've made a couple times tonight is that I think the economy can be great, earnings can be fantastic, but it doesn't mean stocks have to trade at the multiple they traded at yesterday. Um, I get why stocks traded yeah. at a, a very significant multiple when rates were, were, were low. Uh, companies were given a lot of benefit of the doubt. Why should they be trading even where they were um, three weeks ago? Well, Tim, historically you traded a 19 multiple when core inflation is between 1 and 3%. And it's not 20 because of this cycle because it's traded for so long below 20. So when you think about that, coupled with inflation is still at, at under 2% on the core level. So let's think about is the market discounting the caution or the optimism? Mm -hmm. We came into this year trading at 20 times. We have if we end this year, I can't imagine a scenario where my 155 number for S&P operating profits is too high. So if that's You'll true, get there, you're but at 17 times at the end of this year. In other words, you've had a three multiple point contraction already if you say prices are going to stay where they are. I just don't think there's any way that's going to happen unless you get the Fed to do some kind of crazy spike in rates, which three or four of the Fed governors have already said we don't want to invert the curve. So they're paying attention to that story. So I'm saying, yes, if when you look at the trailing 12, maybe the multiple is still high. But at the end of 2018, when you're going to have greater than 20, 25% earnings growth this quarter. If you're going to have greater than 20% earnings growth this year, no recession next year, which means even positive next year, now you're at 160-something in earnings. That's a hard thing to say you're going to be at a 17 multiple mm -hmm. with no recession in sight. Tony, good to see you. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, Mel. Tony Thanks, Dwyer, Tony. Um, are you feeling good about this period, May through October? I mean, not that, I mean, you're a long-term investor, long but do you investor. feel like that there are things in the market that they're underappreciating? Yeah, I do. I think that, you know, Alphabet I talk about all the time, those cat earnings, I actually thought those were completely misunderstood. That call, I think, was, I don't know why everybody's hair was on fire over that. So, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Tony's camp.
There's no leadership right now. I mean, that's the biggest problem. And the leadership, you know, everyone goes back to Fang, and it's very narrow. So when you talk about XLI, we're, you know, industrials, people are excited about that. And then you had this earnings cycle where they just rolled over. I mean, they just rolled over. And it, it, who cares what the CFO said is the price action that's uh, so important. So we talked about healthcare disaster. You know, banks showing really bad relative underperformance right now. Staples, disaster. Energy is too small to even care about, right? So if Fang comes undone, the, you know, everything Tony just said is all fine and good. It's all historical data. Right. We're going to have some new history very soon is all the only point. And what happened to, I mean, 50% of the XLF is in at least correction territory, if not worse. Yeah, and, and I got to tell you, coming out of earnings season, the banks are the numbers I like the best. But but I, I think the technicians are in charge, and I say that because I, I think that you, you can see lower highs continue to be made. I'm, I'm trading European, sorry, emerging markets from, you know, tactically the short side or at least to the lower side mm -hmm. um, for the next couple of weeks. All right. Well, one trader is uh, taking a sell in May approach to the emerging markets. Dan, what'd you see? Yes, was this you, Tim? Yeah, yeah, the ETF that tracks um, yeah. the emerging markets. Obviously, this is very heavily Chinese. We know that Alibaba, Tencent, Taiwan Semi, um, and Samsung, so heavily uh, those four companies uh, make up a good portion of this. But uh, put volume is two times that of calls. Interesting bearish trade today when the EEM was trading 46 and a half. A trader sold 21,000 of the June 48 calls to finance the purchase of 21,000 of the June 45, 42 put spreads, paying 55 cents for that. We have a quick chart here, some interesting levels. I mean, look at that 45 level, pretty interesting breakdown level and 42, maybe some decent support. It's a rounding, toppy sort of feel to it right there. So maybe this is a little protection against a long position in the EEM. All right, well, for more options action, you can check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we're all over the after hours movers. Apple is uh, still up by about 3%. Snap is getting smacked, though. The company conference calls are underway. We'll hear from CEOs Tim Cook and Evan Spiegel later this hour. Much more Fast Money still ahead. News alert on Amazon and Whole Foods. Let's go to Eric Chemi in the newsroom for the details. Hi, Eric. Hi, Melissa. That's right. So Amazon is planning new perks for Prime members, including 10% off already discounted products at Whole Foods stores. So you're seeing the synergy here between Amazon and Whole Foods. 75% of Whole Foods shoppers are Prime members, but less than 20% of Prime members are Whole Foods shoppers. So you can see how the company is really trying to go after those grocery stores with this acquisition. Another opportunity here. There's going to be some more discounts available, too, depending on what credit card you use and certain locations will have delivery. A lot of things going on here. We're just finding out about this and more news will come there. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Eric Chemi. Um, I heard this and I thought, mm, not good news for Walmart or Target. Anybody else in the grocery business? Yeah, look, the, the consumables uh, business sector, whatever you want to call this, is over a trillion dollars. And Amazon knows what they're doing. It's high-frequency purchases. They want to be there. And, and think about what Whole Foods used to embody, which was overpriced salads that guy used to pick up on the way home from work. And, in fact, it's turning into staples. It's, it's good news for everybody. Other than guy, I guess. I love those salads, and yes, I pick. That's when you, when you're my age, 54, you need to eat a lot of roughage without getting into great detail. <laughs> but let's talk about Walmart quickly. Yeah, we I mean, just got to know more on that comment. Go ahead. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Walmart's significantly lower than it's all time, $110. So at a certain point, I think. Walmart valuation matters, and if you like Walmart valuation, Target valuation has to matter, despite what Amazon is doing here in foods. All right, switching gears. All of the major cryptocurrencies getting hit today after reports that the SEC and CFTC are looking to crack down on the coins. Bob Bassani is at the New York Stock Exchange with all the details. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, we've reported in the past about these battles between the SEC and the CFTC over who, if anyone, 
should have regulatory control over cryptocurrencies and even exchanges. Now, the CFTC has already said Bitcoin is a commodity, period. It is not a security and that it should be regulated by the CFTC. However, the CFTC has not made any claims about other cryptocurrencies. And that's why we're in a regulatory gray area right now. So today, the Wall Street Journal reported that other cryptocurrencies are indeed under scrutiny by the SEC, including Ethereum, the second largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization. So the issue is this. Are other cryptocurrency securities, if they are, they can be regulated by the SEC. So in general, equity securities, for example, represent ownership interest in an entity. Ethereum coins were pre-mined for an online crowd sale. It kind of fits. Another key issue is whether the creators of cryptocurrencies like Ethereum or Ripple exert significant influence over their value, like management does over publicly traded equities. Now, if they do, it could arguably be made a security and come under the supervision of the SEC. Now, a group of venture capitalists involved in the creation of Ethereum has strongly disagreed with this line of argument. They argue that Ethereum is paid to people who run the program on their computers and that Ethereum was mined, not created. Maybe. They have already asked the SEC for a regulatory exemption, but the SEC has not yet issued a ruling. By the way, Bitcoin ETFs, the one thing everyone agrees, are clearly under the purview of the SEC, and so far, they have not approved any crypto ETFs. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani. Um, I'll go to you, Tim, since you hold Ethereum. I mean, they also argue that they own the founders of Ethereum. They own very, very a small amount of the total float of Ethereum. So they don't have the power to exert that control price. exactly that, that the SEC is worried about. No, the, the developers hold the control. The developers need to feel that this is the platform where they have both the, the, the technical expertise and, and essentially the foundation to build upon, but also I think the transparency in the regulatory environment. So uh, I keep feeling as if while the market doesn't like regulation, um, this is ultimately a great thing. All right. Well, our next guest says, don't worry about the crackdown or potential crackdown. Uh, keep betting on crypto. Let's go off the charts with Robert Slimer of Fundstar Global Advisors. Hi, Rob. What are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Thanks very much. So the technicals are always really important with, uh, with cryptocurrencies. You know, thinking about regulation and what happened with the uh, tax issues, that was a big downdraft in Ethereum, roughly between 1,000 down to around 350. So that, to me, was really where you had the crux of all the issues, all the concerns coming in. And this looks like we're putting in some sort of bottom. But what I think is interesting, we get this news out today, and Ethereum really doesn't break down again. We really don't see this rollover. In fact, when we take a look at the technicals, Ethereum has already rallied back up into this 700 range. There's a lot of resistance around the 200-day moving average. And if you look at one of these momentum indicators like RSI, it was pretty overbought. In fact, we see that on most cryptocurrencies, and it looks like they're due for a pause, and we're starting to see that. We already saw that in Bitcoin over the last week, week and a half. So in general, I think the reaction of Ethereum to the news was relatively positive today. And when we look at Bitcoin, there's something much more interesting happening here as well. So for example, it started to stall at the 200-day. Momentum's gotten overbought. We're starting to see this consolidation. There's a tremendous amount of support here between uh, 8,200 and uh, 8,400. And I don't think there's a lot of downside. This is around roughly uh, 9,600 where, where uh, Bitcoin began to stall. The key point here is this huge downtrend that's been in place since January is now reversing. So the question is, are we seeing a bigger bubble? Or is this a bottoming phase? And we think it's a bottoming phase that's taking hold and that you want to be buying this pullback from the short-term overbought. So a lot of uh, comparisons have been made to the NASDAQ going back to uh, the 2000 time frame, arguing this is where we are. We don't believe that's, case, that's the case for a couple of reasons. One, 
Bitcoin hasn't been around that long. It's only been around for a couple of years. Uh, and the amount of institutional money that's come in and private money that's come in is nowhere near to the type of bubble that we saw in the NASDAQ going back from 1995 through to 2000. So if we look at uh, Bitcoin, it's just pulled back to the 200-day. And again, going back to 2013, 2014, it comes out of this trading range. We've really only seen a bull market in Bitcoin for two years. That's a 70% correction back to the 200-day moving average. We think this is a bottoming phase. This short-term overbought situation that's developed, we want to be buying. Should we invite Rob over to the desk? Of course. Desk? All right, yeah. sure. Come Why on over, we? Rob. Bring him in. Come on over. Heidi's going to bring in the chair. Thank you, Heidi. Yeah. Robert, good, good to see you. It, guys. Welcome. So in terms of the price action, Tom Lee, also a fund threat, had made the case that there was going to be a lot of tax selling in the coins. Does Fair it enough. look like that has resolved? I mean, do we see enough in the price action to believe that that potentially was the cause for the softness? I think it's a combination of regulation, concerns, uh, taxes, uh, a break in price. Mm -hmm. All of that sort of came together in the perfect storm. Bitcoin collapsed 70 some odd percent. We saw the other cryptocurrencies collapse. You had a bottom in February. You had a retest out in uh, March and April. It looks like a low to me. And this recovery we've seen has been relatively orderly. It's a little overbought. You're getting a bit of a pullback. Looks pretty timely to me. All right. Rob, thank you. Thank Rob you. Slimer of Fundstrat. Coming up, Facebook's holding its annual developers conference today, talking everything from the data breach to their new dating app. We'll sit down with one of the company's top executives. Plus, Snap getting smacked in the after hours, down 15% or so. CEO Evan Spiegel speaking on the earnings call right now. Deidre Bose is monitoring that, wearing the signature flower crown filter, of course. <laughs> Doesn't everybody? She'll bring us all the headlines right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Snap getting crushed in the after-hour session. Deidre Bosa standing by with more. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, the Q&A section kicked off about 10 minutes ago, and nearly every question from analysts is about the redesign. CEO Evan Spiegel acknowledging headwinds from that redesign, but saying that it's important and they're committed to it. And they're already seeing signs of early stabilization among iOS users, but there's still work to be done in terms of the Android app. Have a listen. We should have made a lot of changes uh, faster in our engineering organization and really put Android first. Now, uh, you know, and I, starting uh, last year, we started re-architecting the entire application and rebuilding it uh, from scratch. And we now have a bunch of those components, and we're testing some, uh, you know, already in the application. Um, but ultimately, it's the re-architecture that will make a big difference. And you know, he says that they're also making changes to the redesign of the app across iOS and Android to put friends' stories first, no matter where you are on the application. Um, Melissa, we'll jump back on the call, but lots about the redesign and how that's adversely affecting business. Just quick question, Deidre. Recode had a, an article saying that they were redesigning the redesign. When he <laughs> says that he's committed to the redesign, does that mean the redesign as we know it or committed to... <laughs> Still redesigning the site. I know that's confusing, but you get what I mean. <laughs> it's a. I know. I know where you're going with this because it is a little bit confusing. Um, instead of saying something like they're walking back the redesign, which is what I think you're getting at, they're using the word optimization a lot, saying that they're looking at user behavior, at what advertisers are responding to, and optimizing the app. So I believe that amounts to a redesign of the redesign. They're calling it optimization, um, but I think analysts are trying to get at the same thing on the call and even asking 
asking how they're seeing these signs of stabilization. But again, uh, you know, Evan Spiegel and his his executives saying that they are optimizing and they're making some changes right. uh, so that users will respond a little better to it. Okay, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Optimizing sounds a lot better than redesigning the redesign that didn't work with users like Kylie Jenner. Kylie was not happy. Right? Yeah. Listen, I mean, Kylie let us know. Let, let's, so. be, let's be clear here. This stock is trading very near all-time lows. I think expectations are extremely no, low now. That was the lowest level of users that they gained in, you know, in years, okay? So they have 191 million daily active users. They have ARPU, average revenue per user, of $1.21 on those. It can't really get much lower. So if, the re, if the re-redesign works, the stock down at the lows is going to be a good opportunity, I think. What do you think this means for Instagram? I mean, do you look at it as I don't think share or that, you know, that I, I think they did their damage with stories. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I don't think there was like a huge migration over. Um, you know, I, I listen. I think these guys have also done a horrible job with the celebrity set. You know, we, we saw you guys were just talking about the gender, that sort of thing. They're going to have to redesign a lot of things about the way they think about their users or optimize. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Facebook, Facebook is holding its annual developers conference in San Jose today, addressing the company's privacy scandal. CNBC's Julia Borson is there sitting down with the company's director of partner. Julia. Melissa, thanks so much. I'm joined now by Ime Archibong, VP of Partnerships, which means that your job is to manage the relationships with the 5,000 developers who are here today, many of whom are very frustrated that you're pulling back the amount of data that you're giving them access to. What are you saying to them to reassure them that this isn't gonna destroy their business models? Yeah, I mean, it's acknowledging actually the frustration that they have right now. You can see that the energy is pretty high here in the room, and it has been high at least for the last 24 hours. All of them have expressed, hey, there's a little bit of frustration, of course, over the last couple of weeks when the app review process has been on pause. More and more APIs have been deprecated. But ultimately, the folks that believe in the long-term vision of the platform, which I would say is the overwhelming majority, understand that this short-term changes actually are going to be beneficial for the long run. So short-term changes that give them less, less data. Does this mean that over the long term you might start giving them back some of the data you're now limiting? Or what's next in terms of your, your yeah. limits on what they're going to get access to? One of the things we continue to tell them is that we, we will continue to lean into great use cases, right? One of the principles here is to ensure that every single API that we build, every single API that we extend actually transpires and leads to value for the people that are going to be using their applications. But you, so. you, yeah, you just told me that you're yeah. raising the bar for yep. the kinds of applications that you want to be integrated with, with Facebook and Messenger, et cetera. Yeah. But that's costing Facebook money, and it's also going to cost developers more money. Yeah. Are you worried that developers aren't going to want to work with Facebook as much because of the additional hassle and cost? I don't think so. I mean, one of the things that I talked about earlier on stage today was like we're all on this journey together, especially in the early days of platform, which arguably one could say, although we're 11 years into it, we're still early in terms of the vision that we have is that there's going to be changes, there's going to be tweaks, and there's going to be turns. And if you're going to be an early developer building on a platform, you're kind of along for those ups and downs, but ultimately you know that things are going to lead to the up and to the right over time. There was some big news today when Mark Zuckerberg announced a new dating app. <laughs> there are a number of developers yeah. who have dating apps mm -hmm. that are integrated uh, into Facebook. Some yeah. are sort of base, based on those Facebook relationships like Hinge and others like Bumble allow you to log in yeah. through Facebook. Yeah. Is this news that Facebook's devel uh, developing this, this service bad news for all the other dating apps? No, nothing changes for them. They will continue to be able to use Facebook login, continue to be able to share and leverage the platform. Like we love what that developer ecosystem has done. I think the thing what Mark is acknowledging and calling out is something that I experienced just this past weekend. I went to a wedding. The gentleman's vows started off by saying, I fell in love with you off of a Facebook photo. <laughs> and then they went to college in two different states and said that they used our tools to ultimately stay in touch over time and bond and kind of 
you know, a couple years later turn into to husband and wife. So we're really trying to lean into those use cases and make sure that when people are trying to look for meaningful relationships, that that is another avenue that we can play a part well, in. Well, that may be a natural extension for Facebook, but it can't be good for all these other all these other dating apps. And we saw it with the IAC and match shares really, really declining today. Well, Imei Archibong, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll let you get back to talking to all the developers awesome. here. Thank you so much. Guys, back over to you. Thank you very much, Julia. I feel like they could have done that on Google Mail, but nice <laughs> story still. Karen, yeah. Facebook is one of these stocks that did well in earnings, and they <laughs> also right? did well. It's a stock that has responded positively it has. to positive results. Positive is responded positively positive results and literally the day before he uh, Mark Zuckerberg went to Congress was the bottom of the stock it's interesting to me though you know just with this match the way match is trading it is so reminiscent of the Amazon Whole Foods deal when you just looked at Kroger got absolutely crushed like match Kroger I don't think has recovered Wow, so this could be lasting. It, I really could, I, wow. no pun intended, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Match is a 60% short interest, by the way. So they, they are leaning heavily into this news, I'm sure. No, this, this, you know, whether there's going to be a breakup here or not. I mean, ultimately, you, you have a case where Facebook has tried to get into other parts of the social sphere. They tried to get into the employment space. Um, I'm not sure that you have to anoint them suddenly the victor. And after everything that Facebook's gone through, I, I think the people... And I, I, you know, I certainly can't speak for this, but those that are on these sites um, are not looking to, to give you know, Facebook that information right now. I really don't think so. They're certainly not looking to cross into that same place that they post pictures of their dog. Well, that's what makes Snap, I think, even a little more right. interesting. Everyone's looking at me like I'm not saying, I, I'm saying something wrong. Ahead, yeah, yeah, I mean, Snap is more of a private messaging right. sort of service for all intents and purposes. So I think it's kind of an interesting property. I'll just say this about, you know, we were talking about um, Apple earlier, and we're talking about Facebook. Two, two very controversial stories now. I think the highs are in for these stocks for the year, and I think the lows are in for them. I think when you think about what both of these companies have to do to get investors back on board, it's going to be co it's gonna cost. It's going to be a lot of things. And so to me, I think you're going to have a lot of range-bound opportunities. going to be some good trading opportunities. But neither one of these are out of the woods by the end of 2018. Guy noticeably quiet on the, on the no, dating no, no. sites. No, no, no. I'm just listening. I'm learning. Means. I don't know any of these. I mean, I, I have trouble logging on these sites. But I'll say IAC <laughs> down 18% to me is the most – that's an absurd overreaction. I think you look at their revenue growth and you look at their valuation and say, wait a second. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm not, I don't think they're in the Kroger – uh, category, my opinion. Did you say you had trouble logging on to Face, those the sites? Facebook. Did you ask Tim for help? The Facebook. <laughs> Tim is a pro. I'm using, I'm using Dan's password. Oh! Which is still password. Ahead. Still ahead. Apple soaring after a big earnings beat. We'll hear from CEO Tim Cook about the quarter. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple CEO Tim Cook speaking on the call. The stock, by the way, up 3% in the after hours. Josh Lipton's at Apple's Cupertino headquarters. Tell us what Cook had to say about the quarter. Josh. Melissa, the iPhone 10 clearly a focus uh, on this conference call, but so is that services business up 31%, Melissa, to a record $9.2 billion. Here's what Cook had to say about that business. Take a listen. We had all-time record revenue from the App Store, from Apple Music, from iCloud, from Apple Pay, and more, all of which are a powerful illustration of the importance of our huge active installed base of devices and the loyalty and engagement of our customers. 
Now, Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty on the call. Melissa said that services growth, in her opinion, was sort of the highlight of this print. Asked what drove that. You heard Cook there saying that it's really broad-based, making the point that it's App Store, Apple Music, Apple Pay. He said also each geo grew at least 25%. He said Apple remains on target to that 2020 goal of doubling services revenue. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Josh Lipton in Cupertino. Let's bring in Gene Munster for more on Apple's earnings call. So, Gene, um, what are your takeaways so far? Uh, well, Melissa, spoiler alert for your viewers, have them turn the volume down because I'm going to basically map out what the stock is going to do, I think, for the next 6 to 12 months. Over the next six months, this is all going to be about anticipation of some of the new phones. And analysts were digging to that. Likely three new models coming out in September, higher ASPs, they hinted to that as well. And separately, if you think about the next three to five years, it's going to be about services. Cook was all over that on the conference call. And separately, this buyback, which they're probably going to accelerate faster than what they announced today. So I think when you put all this together, it's an A minus, but setting up for an A minus quarter for, for uh, several of those to come in future quarters. Is this what they actually said on the, on the conference call, Gene? Did they say that we're going to come out with three new phones at higher uh, average selling prices? And so therefore, you think the overall, I mean, did they, did they say they're going to accelerate the buyback? Or is this what Gene Munster of Loop Ventures believes they will do? So what they said was that iPhone 10 was the most popular phone in China and is an indication of some of the price elasticity strength that they have. And so you can kind of read into that that they feel that there's more room for higher price phones. And obviously, there's this rumored 25% bigger phone that's going to come out in the fall. So to answer your question, that was my interpretation of what was said there. Separately, it's also my interpretation about the speed of the buyback. They had a couple questions, but keep in mind this, is that they did not give a time frame of how fast that they would deploy this $100 billion in capital. But the last time they gave a time frame, they exceeded that by 25%. So if you take the approach that Apple's a very systematic company mm -hmm. and that they're going to follow the patterns that they've done in the past, you can get to those conclusions. Just quickly, Gene, what is your grade on this quarter? I think it's an A minus for the reasons it wasn't a blowout quarter, mm -hmm. but good enough. And I think that this sets up for future positive quarters. All right. Gene, thank you. Gene Munster, who's been manning the red phone, the red iPhone in this case for us um, from San Francisco. What do we make so far? What do you make of Gene's interpretations of what was said on the conference call? I, well, I, I don't know about the phones. I believe Gene, right. he knows the story well. I think uh, obviously the services part, and you could see Cook pushing that, mm -hmm. is trying to get a different kind of valuation, different kind of multiple, so that it doesn't trade like a hardware company, because that's a really difficult thing. All in, you know, I, I, I'm not long. I certainly wouldn't short it, but I'm probably not going to run out and buy it tomorrow. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I think Gene's analysis is probably correct, and I think it's something, like I just said, I think it's going to play out over time. We're going to have to see more. I don't think a six-and-a-half-inch phablet iPhone is going to be the thing that investors drive the stock up this summer. So to me, um, you know, I'm less interested in higher price phones at this point. If they can continue to do 30% year-over-year services growth, you know, all the power to them. Up next, final trades. Trade time, Tim Seymour. So we talked, I mentioned banks, I thought are the best earnings, and best of the banks is clearly JP Morgan, so there you go. Karen likes right. that. Karen. Yeah, I do like that. Well, great minds think alike. Oh. Citibank also, I like the valuation. Hasn't traded great, for sure, but I like it right here. Dan Nathan. Nobody likes Snap right now, but I think you can buy it under 12 here. <laughs> but everybody likes you, Dan. Oh, yes. Snap. Yes. Oh, they hate well, a lot of them. Big away on Friday. I'm looking forward always to it. Always big guy, always big. Las Vegas Sands, Mel. Wow. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.
Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.